The broadcast is now starting. All attendees are in listen-only mode. Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome to our first Smithink webinar and podcast episode for 2020. If you're joining us live today and have the opportunity to ask a question, you have the opportunity to ask a question at any time. Just use the Ask a Question function on your GoToWebinar control panel, and that will be answered at the end of the session. If you are viewing the recording or listening to the podcast later and would like to ask a question, just uh, feel free to contact us directly at smithinc.com. I'm now going to hand over to David Smith, Smithink Director, to present his session on holistic advice and how to embed that in your practice. Over to you, David. Thanks, Andrea. Good uh, afternoon, good morning, um, wherever you may be, everybody, and uh, Happy New Year, and I hope that um, you haven't been impacted too much by the, all the fires, and if you have, I hope that uh, things are on the, on the road to recovery. Um, I thought that this wasn't a bad session to start the, the year with because um, what, um, what we've discovered in, in talking to a lot, of, a lot of firms over the years is that most firms would agree that there is a significant untapped potential in their existing um, client base. Um, and, and it's either you know, related to the fact that they might have uh, uh, needs in their business or they might have personal fin financial needs that need to be serviced. And when I have these discussions with a lot of firms, uh, the number of 20% team keeps getting kicked out there that potentially there's another 20% of fees that we could be earning. But for one reason or another, um, many firms fail to unlock the opportunity. And what I want to do today is really talk about that and um, what we've found is um, really the keys to unlocking the opportunity. And more often than not, the issues that um, come up which get in the way is the, the classic lack of time with um, the what I call the compliance vortex getting in the way that firms keep getting dragged back to all the deadlines and the challenges of getting the compliance work done. But also it's not just that, it also relates to the fact that having the sorts of conversations with clients that um, I'll be talking about in a minute, many people don't feel confident in having those types of conversations. And so um, moving back to do compliance work can be uh, an easy way out rather than having to do the more difficult, um, different way of engaging with clients. And lastly, um, many firms lack a process to, to do this. And if you don't have a process, more often than not, it doesn't happen. It doesn't get done. And clearly, if you're not um, doing the sorts of things that I'll be talking about in a second, um, you will fail to unlock the opportunity. And over the years, what we've found is that a lot of, lot of people go running off and buy software um, such as the cash flow stories and the future lease and uh, the fathoms and um, all of those different products which are designed to help you work with your clients on their management reporting, uh, on their budgeting and cash flow um, management and the like. And whilst that's um, uh, important and a, and a great assistance in terms of delivery of the service, it is not what will create this, the need for the service in the first place. And the key that I really want to talk about most of this presentation 
is about the fact that what you really need to do is to reset your relationship with your client and engage with your client in a different way so that your client sees you as that holistic advisor who can help them with whatever the issues are with their business or their personal financial affairs. And, and one of the critical factors here is that you want to reset the client relationship so that you're the key person that the client thinks of when they've got any issue to do with their business or their personal financial affairs. <coughs> and I liken this in a similar way to a going to see a general, general practitioner as, a docu, uh, as, as your doctor, who you'll go and see them about whatever the issue may be, and then they may direct traffic and send you off to a specialist. Now, it could be the same situation in your own situation here. <coughs> Excuse me, that there's certain services you can provide yourself, but there's other skills that you may not necessarily have. So, for instance, you might uh, you may uh, be able to help them with um, their financial planning area, for instance, or you might be able to help them with uh, budgeting and cash flow in those traditional accounting areas. But once it gets outside that into marketing, um, technology, uh, HR, for instance, they may be areas where you don't have expertise and you're not comfortable in providing the service. And so if you want to have these broad-based discussions with your client, it is fundamental that you build a network of advisors around you with all of these supplementary skills so that when the client raises that they've got an issue with their marketing or public relations or um, their processes or their technology, whatever it may be, you can say to them quite confidently, we can help you with that. We have a network of advisors, experts in these fields that we can, we can bring um, to, to you and help you resolve that issue. Now, what I'm not suggesting, though, is that you throw the client over the fence and say, look, just go and see um, that advisor down the road. They will help you do this. Um, because that's not really what the client wants. The client trusts you and the client wants you to stay involved and help them um, find the solutions that they're looking for. So. I liken your role when you're using one of these third-party advisors to be similar to a project manager, that you're, you're uh, involved in briefing that third-party advisor. If it was me, I would get the client to come into my office and the third-party advisor to also come into my office. Uh, and together we would be briefing that advisor. And then I would be staying involved to monitor what that is advisors doing, reading the output of what they're recommending and to be ensuring that what is being delivered was what the client was needing. Um, and in that way, you're staying involved. The client has confidence that you're there as well, helping to ensure that everything is being done the way it's supposed to be done. And the client then is perceived that you're intimately involved in the delivery of all of the services so that when the client might have another problem further down the road, um, the, they'll again perceive you as the first port of call and come back to you 
and uh, and say, well, here's an, here's another issue. How can you help me? Um, in my own career, where uh, as many of you know, I advise a lot of professional service firms. Um, more often than not, I get asked a whole range of uh, uh, questions about issues that they may be facing that um, I don't have the necessary skills or knowledge to do as effectively as they might need. Uh, and so I'm forever referring people to other advisors. But it, in every case, whenever I do that, I stay actively involved in the process to ensure that those other advisors are effectively briefed and doing the work in the lines that my client expects. And I've found that to be very effective over the years. So I think message number one is, are you building that network of advisors around you and creating an engagement methodology which um, keeps you involved as the project manager uh, and you're working alongside that third party advisor, uh, not just throwing the client over the fence. Um, I think that is a critical component here of refocusing and resetting your relationship with your client. Now, one example of that uh, is in the financial planning space and in former webinars and over the last few months, I've spoken a bit about financial planning and the changes that are, that are happening in that industry. But um, many of you may be aware that uh, I'm involved in a uh, business called Crescere Partners, which is building joint ventures for accounting firms to do financial planning. And this model follows exactly the model that I've just been talking about. The financial planner is working in the accountant's office alongside the accountants and in the Crescere model uh, under the accounting firm's brand so that um, for all intents and purposes, the client is perceiving that the accounting firm is actively involved in providing the service, the services coming from um, a branded uh, financial planning arm from the accountant with the advisor working alongside the accountant in the accountant's office. And that's a model which is really resonating with firms. And obviously, if you're interested in that, don't hesitate to talk to me. But in terms of, the, the general engagement to unlock the opportunity, um, there's a few things to be thinking about. The first thing, in my opinion, is you need a repeatable process. Because if you say that you're going to do this um, without a repeatable process, what will happen is that compliance work will overwhelm um, the situation and you'll never get round to doing it. So in my opinion, the right way to do this is to embed the process into the compliance process. So you're doing this for each and every client. Um, and that um, the only way you get process compliance, which I've talked about in other webinars, is you must apply zero tolerance. In other words, um, people must comply with the process. And if they don't comply, you reject the work. The only other way to do this too is that you must have face-to-face -face client meetings. You can't do this in an email. You can't do it over the phone. You might be able to do it with quality video conferencing, but most of the time you need a face-to-face -to, -face to be able to do this. And what I'm talking about um, and, and the way to do this is that I think the right time to embed this process in how you operate is in the is in the sign-off meeting with the client, which is going to happen every year, um, because obviously you're doing the compliance work every year, but it's 
use that sign-off meeting as an opportunity to reset the engagement for next year, but you conduct um, a quality discussion with the client about what's happening in their life, what's happening in their business, um, or what life events have, have changed um, to be able to discover what are the issues that are happening for them that they need help on where you might be able to help them. And it's that um, general discussion which is key here. So this is the process that I think should be followed. Now I call this, I call the fundamental process conducting a client's needs review. Now we've talked about this for years um, and uh, we know that this works. The firms that do this effectively achieve results. However, despite the fact that both Mark Holt and I have been talking about this for years, many firms still struggle to do it. Um, and it really requires a bit of discipline, embedding it into your, your compliance processes and having this regular discussion. Um, you, so you basically do the needs review discussion, which is a discovery session to unlock what is happening for the client. You then frame the services that will help meet those client needs and issues. Uh, then you will talk to the client about um, these are the issues that it appears you're facing. This is how we can help you. And then only lastly, after all of that, do you then employ the tools and other things to actually deliver the services. Um, most firms are actually okay on the on the delivery point where most firms tend to struggle is in the is in doing these discussions framing the services and the, and having the discussion with the client that's where the focus needs to be if you really want to un unlock the opportunity so this client needs review is, uh, and again, I've talked about this for a long time, is just asking open-ended questions to the clients about what's happening in their world, about their business, about their financial needs, desire to sell their business succession. All of those things are the critical pieces that we need to be talking about in these meetings. Now, Mark Holton and myself over the years have developed our 10 by 10 needs review questionnaire. Um, and uh, you just need to email me, uh, david.smith at smithinc.com and I'll send you a free copy of this questionnaire. You can get it off the website as well. Um, but just to give you a flavour, um, all of these questions, there's basically 10 areas and 10 questions for each area. Now, this is not a checklist to be completed. These are just questions that you can have in your mind to get your client talking to you. I liken it to a fishing expedition. You're throwing questions out there, seeing what the client's saying to you, uh, and then reacting to that and taking appropriate notes to record what appears to be the, the questions and concerns that a client might have. Now, in this um, presentation deck, uh, there's a number of slides here which are different parts of the needs review. I don't have time to go through them in detail, but you can see that we cover off in a whole lot of variety in areas, technology and process. Um, risk management is another example. Um, retirement, which is obviously for many a, a big issue. Uh, family and personal. Now, one of the things here which can be quite a challenge for people is to be having the courage to ask these questions. Um, and, you know, it's, it's quite interesting that uh, people really are not uh, 
are not willing or not confident to ask these questions, particularly about questions around people's health, questions around their quality of their relationship. Um, these things um, are very important to individuals and can have a significant effect on their personal and financial affairs. And really, if you're going to advise them effective, effectively, they're questions that do need to be asked. So I suppose, again, with the years of experience that uh, I've had in doing this sort of thing, you need to have the confidence to ask those difficult questions because it's in the asking of those difficult questions that you'll really unlock the issues that need to be addressed and need to be worked on. So this, those needs reviews, it's not a checklist to be completed. All it is is an aid memoir of questions you could ask. The other critical piece when you're conducting one of these needs review discussions is that it's not a time to sell services. So in other words, you're doing a needs review and a client might say, well, gee, I've actually got a bit of a problem with um, how my inventory is being managed or an HR problem, whatever. That's not the time to say to the client, well, I can help you do with that. This is, this is how we could approach that. Um, or, or, or even worse, giving them the answer straight off the cuff. Um, that's not what you should be doing. The, the two reasons why you shouldn't be doing that, if you give an answer straight off the cuff, the client will not value that. Uh, and you're doing yourself a disservice in what uh, the value that uh, you're giving the client there, that you should be unlocking some of that value for yourself. Uh, and secondly, uh, that if you keep on trying to, in that initial meeting, sell the client a service of a way of helping them, they'll start to lose confidence in the process and see the process as a sales process, not as a process where you're really trying to um, find out what's going on in their world. So I always believe that a needs review to be done effectively is a needs review where you ask questions and listen and you take notes, but you do not propose answers um, and you do not try and sell services in that initial needs review discussion. Um, the, that comes later. After the needs review discussion, you then um, will then think about what the client said, think about what they need, think about how you can provide a service to them um, and then go back and propose to the client what you could be doing to help um, in a subsequent meeting. Now, it's really important that you ask what I call expansive questions, questions where the client cannot give you a yes, no answer. Um, generally, these questions start with, you know, what, high and, and what, how and why. Um, and, and just think about if you look at what I've got on the screen here, how do you feel about what's your ideal end result? To answer any of those questions, the client has to give you a narrative. And then when, you, when that narrative is happening, your job is to listen to that narrative um, and to um, uh, think about what can you be asking? What's the next question that you can ask to get one level deeper to really find out what's going on in the client's world? More often than not, the first question that you ask will not um, get to the core issue. What you need to find is the disease, not the symptoms. And so initially the client might really give you symptoms of the real problem. And it's only by uh, 
further questioning that you'll actually get down to what the disease or the issue is that the client wants to address. Um, and one of the techniques to really think about um, is to build rapport with the client and make them make what they're saying to them feel as though you're really thinking that that's important and uh, you're considering what they're saying. So these are all pretty basic things, but many people don't do it all that well by acknowledging what the client is saying to you, sympathising with, with their position. Um, with the, as you get older, more often than not, you've been in a similar position somewhere in your life and you can sympathise um, in that way. Um, paraphrasing or restating back to the client what they've said to you is an important way to show the client that you've understood what they're talking about um, and empathising, which is what I was just talking about. So using those active listing techniques um, are really critical to build that rapport, build the client confidence, because for this process to be as effective as it can be, it's all actually about making the client feel confident, making the client feel as though um, you're really interested, making the client feel as though they can trust you with these issues quite often, which can be quite um, personal. One of the other things that you might want to consider here as well is that when you've got a family situation, like sort of a, a mum and dad um, type situation, quite often there is merit in uh, having a needs review discussion with mum separate to dad. And the reason for that is, is that quite often you might get different answers. Um, quite often one um, of the couple might be more, uh, uh, more driven and more dominating than the other. And so you may not actually get um, the true views of both parties by doing them together. Now you might want to do that, you may not want to do that every year, um, but on a reasonably regular basis, I think uh, trying to interview mum and dad um, separately has a lot of merit to it. Um, I've really talked about the types of questions that uh, you could be asking, but you need to concentrate on the follow-up questions um, to get that one level detail uh, deeper. As I say, it's about um, their, uh, you can ask questions around their business, ask questions around their personal situation. And then after that, you then hold an internal meeting to scope the opportunity. Uh, and then you can uh, then present back to the client. You might want to um, consider your pricing options. Some firms have like a, a committee where um, when you're trying to scope new opportunities, you can go to that little committee and they meet sort of once a fortnight. You can say, I've spoken to this client. These are the types of issues they're raising. How can, what are the types of services we could provide? Who are third party advisors who could help us? How might we price the, the whole job? So getting other people in the firm involved in terms of uh, scoping the opportunity and pricing the opportunity um, can be something which is worth considering as well. And then you go back and you might do this on the phone, but again, face-to-face -face is better. You then have a second client meeting where you restate to the clients the issues that have come out of the first meeting that are concerning them. Um, you outline the client how you might be able to help them uh, and you confirm with the client that this would help. And you might then discuss and agree pricing at that time. 
Um, that's the next step. Now, obviously at different times, the client may not like your price. Um, and all you do at that point is you say to the client, well, here's the raft of things that we think that um, you need. Do you agree with that? And they say, yes, we'll say, well, that's what that will cost. However, if uh, cost is an issue, let me know what we can remove from the list and I'll give you another price. So in other words, you're always empowering the client to be able to change the price, but there's a penalty associated with that, which would be um, a, a service would get removed and quite often a client might say, well, actually I, I need it all. So what's the getting started here? Um, you need to have training on how to do these needs reviews discussions. Um, in many firms, um, they're using the technique of doing a mock needs review where a manager or a partner represents the client um, and other people in the firm interview them um, as though they're the client. Now, it's interesting when I've seen that done, more often than not, um, two things happen. A, people discover things they don't know about the client, which are questions that should be asked next time they meet them. And secondly, they also discover opportunities um, to help the client in areas which they hadn't thought about before, which means that when they're having a needs review discussion with the client, they're able to focus that needs review discussion into some areas which they already feel as though there's, there's a need. I also think you need to have some, um, some KPIs around this to track it and report it. What needs reviews have people been uh, done? Um, even setting a target of doing a certain number each, uh, each month is a good thing to do. Uh, but not just track the needs reviews being done, but um, track uh, what's uh, been uncovered and, uh, and, and, and what sort of uh, proposals have we issued, what sort of revenue we have generated. So I think you need to create some accountability around this uh, to ensure it actually happens. Um, I have so much confidence that this process works, but it will only work if you ensure that people are doing it um, every year for every client. Now, I appreciate that some small clients, it's not really a cost-effective process, but even for a small client, you can still do a cut-down focused needs review on just one or two areas um, and try and unlock particular opportunities which might be focused on those smaller clients. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest that you shouldn't be thinking about doing this for your smaller clients as well. I think there are opportunities with those smaller clients uh, the same as there are with the larger clients. So um, I hope that's been a help. I really would like to suggest to you that you really need to focus on this embedded inside your processes, start trying to do it, do the mock needs reviews, really start to focus on doing this and doing it effectively. And I think you'll be surprised how much work will emerge from uh, uh, embedding this into your general uh, activities each day and each month. So I'll hand back to Andrea now if there's any questions. Great, thanks David. Um, do we have a couple of minutes for questions just while um, I'm waiting for any to come through. Just a couple of people have asked about the recording that will be sent out this afternoon and a couple of people have asked about the needs review document which I can also send out with the recording. Um, yep, and I do have a question that's come through now. Jay um, has asked, how do you recommend structuring your engagement, i.e. one fixed fee or itemised services? Um, 
it depends on what, what we're doing for the client. If it's known like a compliance job, one fixed fee, but a, a, the payments might be structured over a period of time. If it's an advisory job, where in particular we're not 100% sure what, what work might be involved, I would be chunking that down. And I'd be saying to the client, look, stage one of this is these activities uh, and this is the price for stage one. Once we get to the end of stage two, or stage one, I'll give you a price for stage two. You might give them an overall ballpark estimate for how much you think the whole thing would cost, but you'd be saying, don't hold me to it. It's just a ballpark estimate. Um, but as we move through each stage, I will give you a fixed price for each stage as we move through it. Great, thanks David. And one more from Jay. In terms of both the initial meeting and the engagement meeting, do you recommend one or two staff present in the meeting? Um, I always want to have one person there to take the notes of the meeting. Um, two staff might be overkill. Oh, well, sorry, uh, I, I may have misunderstood the question. There should be two people in the room, <clears throat> um, one to conduct the interview and one to take the notes. I think that's, and, and the junior person obviously would hopefully be a person who's got, who does that client's work. And so you're building the relationship with that more junior person as well. They're taking the notes of the meeting so that you can then concentrate on having a quality discussion with the client without having to take notes. Now, a lot of people get worried about the cost doing that, but I can tell you that um, the benefit of doing it is that you'll have a much more informed staff member who can do the work far more effectively because they understand the client better. Great, that's great, David. And no more questions, which is excellent. Um, and we're right up on time. So everybody, the recording will be sent out this afternoon along with the needs review. Thank you very much, David, for presenting today. Okay. Thank you. Thank you all. Talk to you next time.